Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is as he's revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler. We're continuing our trek in the book of Job, going verse by verse, chunk by chunk, seeing what God would have us to learn in the book of Job, both from the the pleasant parts and the hard parts. And today we will be Finishing chapter 11. We've been dealing with the words of Zophar for a couple weeks now, and he's had a lot of good things to say, just none of them to Job. <laughs> he's, he's not exactly the, the encourager in this dynamic. Uh, one commentary that I um, gave time to described Zophar as the most severe of the three. <clears throat> and it's it's frustrating a little bit dealing with Job's friends because they just seem to get worse as time goes on. It just progressively gets worse. There's just this progressive level of nastiness in the book of Job. And chapter 11, we're introduced to Zophar. And he, like I said, he has a lot of good things to say. <clears throat> There's a lot that we can point to in Scripture. But his thesis is rooted in, a, in just flat-out assumption. All three of them have made assumptions. Eliphaz steeped his beliefs in tradition. In, quote-unquote, godly tradition. Um, whether that was God, um, God's directed wisdom, or he even claimed to have hurt been told in a dream this is what it is and then you had Bildad and Bildad even more leans into that traditional that tradition arguments but to the extent that it's it's more about neighbors than God it's about well so and so did this and got this result so you should do this and get that result (laughs) but Zophar it's just blatant assumption, and he is wildly off base in regards to Job. And while there's much that we can glean from Zophar, we almost have to take out of context in order to do that, because none of this is relevant to Job. But it can be relevant 
to those reading the book of Job. And so without further ado, let us begin in verse 13 and read all the way to the end. As for you, meaning Job, if you redirect your heart and spread out your hands to him in prayer, if there is iniquity in your hand, remove it, and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid. For you will forget your suffering and recalling it only as water that has flowed by. Your life will be brighter than noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. You will be confident because there is hope. You will look carefully about and lie down in safety. You will lie down with no one to frighten you, and many will seek your favor. But the sight of the wicked will fail. Their way of escape will be cut off, and their only hope is their last breath. <clears throat> so going back to the beginning, the comfort that Zophar offers, if we could call it that, in this last segment of the initial speech of Zophar, Zophar directs Job to seek communion with God. And that sounds good. That sounds great. And the problem is that he's assuming that Job has forsaken that communion, that Job does not have communion with God, that because you are suffering, you cannot be walking with God. And we know, having read chapters 1 and 2, that the opposite is true, that Job is walking with God that he is a man who is whose way is blameless who fears God and eschews evil <clears throat> but Zophar is running with the assumption that Job does not have communion with God either temporarily or just factually either you've never had this communion with God or you have forsaken that communion recently that's, that's where we seem to be operating here. And so he says, if you redirect your heart and spread out your hands in, to him in prayer, <clears throat> if there is iniquity in your hand, remove it, and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. In other words, if there is sin in the camp, deal with it. Repent. Turn from your sin. That, And this seems reminiscent of what we see in the book of Hosea. Let us return to the Lord, for he has struck, and he shall bind us up. <clears throat> and so his advice to Job is to put off this secret sin that he has committed. Don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents which is a slap in the face to Job, given what we've read from the words of God all the way at the beginning of the book. <clears throat> that when we read the dialogue between God and Satan in chapter 1, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity 
who fears God and turns away from evil. This is not what Zophar is seeing. This is not what Zophar declares to be true. And in that case, he is probably more like the vain man that he talks about in the preceding verses. A stupid person will gain understanding as soon as a wild donkey is born human, says the CSP. <clears throat> and so Zophar, <clears throat> through being quick to speak, shows himself to be a fool here. And while he may mean well, and there's, there are things that we can garner from this, as it applies to Job, Zophar proves himself to be a fool. It says in Proverbs that when a man makes his case, it seems right until someone comes and explains things. And so, Zophar, it sounds good, but in the case of Job, it doesn't fit. But he continues in verse 15, Then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid. You will forget your suffering, recalling it only as water that has flowed by. <clears throat> so if you, in other words, if you repent, if you put out the sin that is in your camp, you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be everything will go back to the way it was. It says you will forget your suffering. And that, that phrase forget is very interesting to me because <clears throat> that is not how we as New Testament believers are instructed to view suffering. <clears throat> not that we are to forget it, but to be mindful of it um, there was a there's a pastor here in the United States that uh, his tagline for many years was "Don't waste your life," and as time went on, also he also threw up words phrases like "Don't waste your suffering." And what he was trying to get across was this idea of recognizing that our suffering is every bit as much of a product of God's sovereignty as our triumphs and our pleasantries. And so the question the believer has in the midst of suffering ought to be, what is God teaching me through this? How is God working in the midst of the suffering? So let's refer to Romans 8 for a moment. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. So we have this, this grand crescendo in the book of Romans that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then we get down a little ways to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. 
<clears throat> for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as first fruits, as Christians born again by the Spirit of God, <clears throat> we who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. Then say we hey, to forget your suffering because there's something good coming, but to be mindful of what's actually at play. eagerly waiting for adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. In this hope that this life is not all that there is, but that there is a kingdom that will come down, and a God who will reign in the midst of his people. In this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with inexpressible groanings. <clears throat> and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That in the midst of suffering and weakness and low thoughts we pray not just to God but with God that part of our pursuit of prayer is that we are joining our will with his that in some that it is God who inclines us to pray it is by God to we, to which we pray and it is to God to whom we are praying that we are enveloped by God in prayer so much so that the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for, and so the Spirit prays with us. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things, says Paul? What should we say about this truth that he has expounded upon, <clears throat> of this transition from groans to glory? What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, citing the Psalms, Because of you, we are being put to death all day, all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, No. <clears throat> In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor things to come, 
or things present, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> and in that constellation of truths that Paul lays out by the inclination of the Spirit, we find that the insight of Zophar is half true, is half full, <clears throat> and leaves out some very important facts about God. That his assumption is that God has left because of sin. That God is not faithful. That God essentially God gets his feelings hurt and takes off. <clears throat> and so his thesis is centered around this idea that you have run off the Almighty. God does not stay. So if you want him to come back, if you want blessing to come back, you need to, to clean house. And then you will hold your head high without fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid. You will forget your suffering, which is not what the Christian is commanded to do but to work at our salvation with fear and trembling, to suffer with Christ. <clears throat> Looking ahead to the bright hope that is to come in the redemption of our bodies. Not to forget suffering, but to have put suffering in its proper place, recognizing that there is a bright future ahead. But he says you will forget suffering, that it will not cross your mind. And this is just foolish. It is spiritually lethargic to state that. That we would forget what God has brought us through. Because when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River and God made the river dry that they may cross on dry land, he had each tribe gather stones and made a monument at that river that was a signpost of God's, of God's provision for his people. <clears throat> and likewise, we ought to approach the hard things like that. But Zophar says, no, no, you will forget suffering. It won't. I'm going to have to disagree there. <clears throat> he says, your life will be brighter than noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. You will be confident because there is hope. Which is to imply that there wasn't hope before. And the hope that Zophar presents is very flippant. <clears throat> you will be confident because there is hope, because now there is hope. You will look carefully about and lie down in safety. He ends there with language of, of, of shepherds. I had done some reading on the, image, the imagery of Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And I found that there are a number of things that will prevent a sheep from lying down. That there are certain needs that need to be met. The sheep will not lie down. Psychologically, a sheep will not lie down unless all of their needs are met in that moment. 
if there is famine, <clears throat> if there are flies, if there is fear of predators, a sheep will not lie down. A sheep will not rest without assurance of food, water, and protection. And that is the imagery here that you will look carefully about and lie down in safety. <clears throat> and that can only be true if God is our shepherd. If God is watching out. Which I think negates Zophar's entire argumentation that Job has forsaken communion with God. <clears throat> Because Job is safe now. It may not feel like it, but Job has not escaped the sovereignty of God. It may hurt, because God has still brought things upon Job that we wrestle with. There's a reason there are so many books, there are so many commentaries. There are so many sermons grappling with this book that you can type in the book of Job into YouTube and find tens of thousands of results from all these different perspectives, all these differing opinions on how do we rectify, how do we reconcile this idea that God is good and God is sovereign with the experience of Job. This is a hard book. But at the end of the day, it is God who gives us rest. It is God who leads us beside green pastures. Not because of our sinlessness, quite the opposite, actually. <clears throat> God is not punishing Job. Therefore, the sufferings will not end if Job repents. The sufferings will end when God says it ends. My favorite verse in the Bible is Ecclesiastes 7.13, which says, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? And one of the harsh realities <coughs> is that there are times where God makes things crooked. And that's not because he's a sadist. It's not because he's wicked or anything. God makes things crooked, and at the end of the day, we have to be okay with that. Not just be okay with that, but we can seek God in the midst of that. That our communion does not end when life gets hard. <clears throat> but when God makes things crooked, who better to go to with our, our frustrations than God? Who better to talk with than God? That psalm that Paul quotes, it is by you that we are killed all the day long. It's a picture of persecution. <clears throat> but if we are united in Christ, then we may also suffer with him. 
knowing that just as Christ was raised after his sufferings, so we will also be raised after our sufferings. There's not a hope that is to come. We have this hope now. <clears throat> Romans 5 says that by faith we have gained access to God through Jesus Christ. He has poured his love into our hearts. It says that we have hope, and this hope does not disappoint. <clears throat> so contrary to the words of Zophar, there has always been hope. There will always be hope until Christ returns. And so despite that, Despite the fact that Zophar has got much of this wrong, we will lie down with no one to frighten us. Many will seek your favor. This is straight out of the Proverbs. <clears throat> but the sight of the wicked will fail. Psalm chapter 1 says, The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The CSB translation puts it as, The way of the wicked shall come to ruin. Their way of escape will be cut off, and their only hope is their last breath. That is stuff. That is language we see with Job in his laments earlier in this book, that his only hope is the release of death. But the truthfulness is that the only hope the lost person has, the wicked person has, is in the assumption that there's nothing after death. <clears throat> but in Christ there is a true hope. In Christ there is true communion with the true God. And so despite our aches, despite the questions we have, about why there is suffering in the world, why things get so hard. Despite all of that, God is not afraid of our questions. God is not afraid to answer for any of that. He, <coughs> he made himself available to us. If we have access to God, we have access to God. There's no two ways about that. But we are able to go to God. So much so that when we turn to the book of Hebrews <clears throat> verse 14 since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That despite our weaknesses, despite the sufferings of our day, <clears throat> despite the times we don't understand there is a God who is available to us 
There is a throne by which we can go and seek mercy, and seek grace, seek fellowship with that God. That, we, that he may bring us to rest beside the still waters. He would lead us to green pastures. Make us lie down in green pastures and restore our souls. Let us go to this, this great God. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.